If you will, please stand at the reading of God's perfect word. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, is the truth that God from heaven is putting before you and before me this morning. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going." Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Beloved, this is the word of our God and the Spirit is putting it before us this morning because He loves us. It's my desire that we would walk through each of these verses, so I would encourage you to leave your Bibles open because what matters is what God says. It doesn't matter what I say. Would you be seated? There is a phrase I uh, I will confess that I remember from my childhood, and it is this: like sands in an hourglass, 
Oh, I'm not alone. I'm exposing something of myself when I say this. And so I'm grateful to hear that I'm not by myself. Like sands in an hourglass, these are the days of our lives. You see, um, during the summers, my, my mom would teach summer school. And some summers, I, my brother and I would stay with my grandparents. And, and so what that meant was we got to know all of, all of their soaps. Um, Ecclesiastes is not Grammy's soap. And Solomon sure ain't no drama queen. This is the king of God's people. And he is putting before us wisdom and, and he's telling us this, that the deeds that we do in this life matter specifically because we're dying. I want you to see, before we really dive into the passage, how uh, the, the passage is put together. In the first half, I wonder if you heard the repetition of the idea of death. And, and really, the second half of the passage is, is focused on what we will do, the deeds we need to live out because we are dying. You can just look at the uh, ver- verse 10, to, to, to kind of represent this. Look at verse 10. Look at the very end when he mentions that we are all going to Sheol, which is the place of the dead. You are going to die. And then at the beginning of the verse, therefore, whatever your hand finds to do, you should do it with all of your strength. Because you're dying, your deeds matter. I also want you to understand that the preacher, Solomon is urgent in this passage. And that is seen at the beginning of the passage. You see in chapter 9, verse 1, this phrase that we've seen throughout Ecclesiastes, this idea that man does not know. At the end of the passage, in verse 12, man does not know his time, but death is going to surprise you. It'll come upon you suddenly. There is at the beginning ignorance of humanity and at the end ignorance of humanity. And in the middle, he says, you're going to die. Therefore, you should live. Or you could say you have one life to live. Or this is one way to summarize the passage. Don't just die. Do good. That's the sermon in a sentence. Don't just die. You're going to die. Don't just die. Do good. Point number one comes from verses one through six. Here, Solomon is telling you and me, you are going to die. Verse one, he talks about all deeds. Verses two through six, he says, all die. Verse 1, all deeds. Verses 2 through 6, all die. Look at verse 1. He speaks about the deeds of the righteous being in the hands of God. Those deeds are not actually the deeds that the righteous do. Those are the deeds or the behaviors or the actions that are done against the righteous, against the wise, against the believer. And here in verse 1, Solomon is telling the people of faith, God is not guaranteeing to you and me 
that everyone in our life is going to love us. The NIV translates it this way. No man knows whether love or hate awaits him. But love and hate are in the hand of God. And God is using love and hate. He's, he's putting those to work by His hand in our lives for His good purposes. Christian, never think that we come to Christ for ease. There is love in God's hand for you. And there is hate. Hateful deeds that people will commit against us that God will actually hand to us. So the book of Ecclesiastes has just been very realistic. God is not ruling over a kind world. He's ruling over a cursed world. And the fools see the lack of kindness and say, well, there must be no God then. No, we know better. We know that we will not just experience good because this world is cursed. Never forget it. But also never doubt that all the things that happen to us are in a hand and that hand is good. Verses two through six. The greatest proof that this world, that you and I are living this life in is cursed, is that there is this great evil, Solomon says. The same event happens to everyone. That is, all die. I want you to see the language that Solomon is using is comprehensive. You see how many times he says all? Look in verse 1. All this I laid to heart. I examined it all. Verse 2, it is the same for all. The same event happens to all. Verse 3, all. Verse 4, all the living. Verse 6 has this emphasis on forever and and, and the share in all that is done. He keeps saying over and over, what I'm saying applies to everyone. Everyone. You will hear in our day, hey, this is my truth. You got your truth. You just do your truth. That's not what Solomon's talking about. He's not talking about his truth. He's not talking about the truth of the people of Israel. This is the truth. This is true for everyone. And, and he's trying to appeal to everyone. Look, you will only live well if you live with verse 2. If you live with the truth that it is the same for all, since all die. The same event's going to happen to everyone. And you cannot live unless you live with that truth in front of you all the time. I'm dying. So verses 3 through 6, he goes on to compare the living and the dead. Look back in verse 3, the two evils that he mentions here. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, here's the second evil. The hearts of the children of man are full 
of evil. And madness, insanity is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. This is the evil. All die and all deserve to die. Your, what's killing you is not coronavirus. What's going to kill you? Not some drunk driver. All die and, and what's going to kill us is what's in the second half of verse three. How, think about this. How is it that Solomon can say this? How is it that we can explain that the entire universe's problem is just one problem? How is it that you can explain that everyone you know, if they're given some time, are going to die? Have you dealt with this? How is that true for everyone? It's true because of what we heard earlier in 1 Corinthians 15. And I want you to hear it again. As by a man came death. As in Adam, in Adam, one man, all die. Here's what God says in explanation for this universal dilemma. Your great evil, your great problem, and mine. All die for this reason, because all descend, come from one man. That's why we're all getting the same event. It's because we all really did come from one source. It's right there in verse 3. Look back in verse 3. The hearts of the children of Adam. That's literally what it says. The hearts of the children of Adam. Like Adam and Eve from the garden, Adam. All of our hearts are full of something. They're full of evil. And there is madness. What is inside of our hearts? Insanity. As long as we live. What he's saying is our great problem is that all the time, no matter who you are, there is this insanity at work inside of your heart. We are all inclined toward madness, which is living any moment of our life without regard for God. That's how God defines it. The fool the crazy person is the one who says there is no God. So every time we we live like that, we're living madly. And he says, everyone in humanity has that at work in our hearts. Our great problem is universal and radical. Radical. That means in the root of us. That's why he says, Your heart is full of evil. The heart, what what dominates you, what, what your control center, the control center of your life, what directs 
all of your life, it is full of evil and, and there is madness inside of there. It's at the root. We have a great problem. All the way back in Ecclesiastes 9. I'm convinced one of, one of my favorite uh, characters in all of literature is this man who is like the heir to the throne of his people. All of humanity have all of their hopes on this one man. But this man is just one of a group of fellows who are committed together to defeat evil. And, and, and there's this moment in this story where the man who has much character and strength, who is supposed to lead the world, wants to seize for himself all power. And he believes if I have all power, I will use it for good. And in that moment, he turns selfish and evil and betrays the one who's actually carrying the power, carrying all the hope of the world. And so he feels this great conviction. And our passage even says, as long as you're alive, there is this hope that, that you can still do more love. Even if you've done something hateful, the, the good thing about being alive is that you, you still can do something better. And so he does. And he ends up laying down his life for those that he endangered. And he's a hero. He's a great character in literature. And that's all the best that you and I can hope for. It's not a perfect life. It's not always loving. It is that we will learn and feel conviction and guilt and even try to improve upon that out of our guilt to do better and to die well. Can you see how different the Lord Jesus is? He is never motivated by guilt. He's never done wrong. It's not like he says, I'm going to go and die for humanity because I've got to make up for all the wrong that I've done in the past. And what I want you to see is because he's innocent and does not have to die to save others, he is absolutely free to do it or not do it. It is perfectly and wholly his decision to come or not. And he is the great answer to our great problem. The text says that everyone in the world has the same evil, the same need. They're all going to die. And all of that is because of Adam. And so if we're going to have any hope, we need a new Adam. We need somebody who can represent all of humanity in the same way that Adam did. But he has to be very different from Adam. He has to have a different heart than the children of Adam. Somehow he has to come into this world and have a different inclination toward God than everyone else. Have a different inclination toward good than everyone else because he has to do a different kind of thing. In other words, he cannot be like all Men, he has to be utterly special. And the only way that happens, the only way someone can come in who can pay like in full a debt of death is if he doesn't owe it. 
Because everyone else who pays God for their sins with their own death, that's what's at work in us. That's why we're going to die. Then we're going to face God in judgment. Everyone who gets that deserves that. So everyone who dies isn't paying anything but what they owe. But the Lord Jesus is God and man. Totally free of evil in his heart. Undeserving of death. And so when he comes and lives a perfectly righteous life and dies on a cross, he can do that for others. And give to others what we do not deserve, which is life beyond the grave. And so it says, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. And then comes the end. When Jesus will deliver the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every enemy and the last enemy to be defeated is death. Don't you see? Do you believe what Solomon is saying? The great evil is death. And there is someone who conquered death. Verses 4 through 6 says, Hope is alive as long as we are. Look back in verse 4. But he who is joined with all the living, that is still alive, has hope. For, here's the explanation, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, it just so happens that Charlie Brown, in one of the comic strips, asked his dog Snoopy to explain this verse to him. And Snoopy looked at it and said, I don't know, but I agree. He's telling Charlie, you better keep taking me that vet. I don't want to die. Keep giving me back kibbles and bits. You need to understand when Solomon writes this, that the top of the animal kingdom is a lion in the mind of an Israelite. And the very bottom of the animal kingdom is a dog. Listen. You may have thought this. I'm sure you've heard this. We imagine that if life gets this bad, whatever this is, then I would rather die than keep on living. If the circumstances of my life turn to to a certain degree that I'm treated like a dog, I'm just treated like I'm nothing, Like, all I get is hate. Well, I'd rather die than to live in that kind of situation. Solomon says, nope. The living have this key advantage in verses 5 and 6. Look at the key advantage for the living. It is this. They know they're going to die. It's not that they want to die. It's specifically because they don't want to die. That is the advantage for all those who are living. Because if we live like we know we're going to die, then we can still love. We can still try not to hate or envy anymore. We can do deeds. We can choose what role 
We're going to play in this soap opera that is so filled with tragedy and selfish villains. The dead don't know anything, he says. Their minds are turned off, even if they're kings, right? Even if they were a king, their reign is through once they're dead. But if you're alive, even a dog has hope of reform. Don't just die. Don't just die. Do good. Brothers and sisters, get real. Get real about what you're expecting out of this life. Your life is going to be full of frustrations. You are going to receive hate from people and not just love. Get real. Will you now, in the face of that reality, live your life to the full? That's what people say. Like, what? If you take this seriously, what, what is the point of all this? If it's all vanity, if all are going to die, just understand. I, I understand that temptation. I, I experience that temptation. What is the point? It is a faithless perspective that says, what is the point? The Christian says, Yes, everyone will die. And that is the greatest evil. We're not pretending at funerals that that death is a friend of ours. No, we know it's the greatest evil. But we know the one who conquered death. And so I'm going to live this life. That's why Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 5, it is when the mortal puts on immortality that... Death is swallowed up in victory. It is when we get new bodies at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and that's what we believe we're going to get. Then death is swallowed up in victory. And so Paul says, even though you're not there yet, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, and always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It is not useless. It matters. Don't just die. Do good. Point number two. Solomon makes the same point. Verses 7 through 12. You're going to die. You better live. Verses 7 through 12. You'd better live. I just want to remind you when it was in the calendar of the people of Israel that they would turn to the book that we're turning to. It was every year at the Feast of Tabernacles. They opened up Ecclesiastes and they believed this is the truth that we need to hear. It was every year at that feast where they were specifically celebrating tabernacles, tents. Those years where they were not in the promised land, did not have a permanent home, but instead were having to travel through the wilderness making their tents and then breaking them down and going, trying to find water and trying to find food. And they remembered God kept us alive. God was with us and God was kind when we were surrounded by death. That's the wilderness. And when they need those reminders, they go to this book. 
to be reminded what to expect in this world of death, a wilderness of hard. But God is with us. And God is working. So verses 7 through 10, there are four W's for the wilderness. I saw someone had three W's uh, for the wilderness. I added a fourth W for life in the wilderness. And I want you to see in verses 7 through 10, there are deeds here that you're commanded to do if you are believing God. And they are just as universal. I want you to see this. They are just as universal. They are just as all-encompassing as what we saw in death. In other words, in life, we are supposed to do certain things all the time. That's why verse 7 speaks of the bread. Whenever you eat the bread, which was a daily kind of thing, it's not a special meal. Verse 8, look, look, there's the word always. May you always wear clothes a certain way and, 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 and may you all never have any lack. Verse 9 says, all the days of your Life. Verse 10 says, whatever you do, as long as you are not six feet under, these are four deeds for today and every day. Four W's. Wine, wear, wife, work. Wine, wear, wife, work. Verse 7, wine. Get real about death. You're real about death. You won't be like the fools who try to get everything out of this life. But it's equally foolish to think that there's nothing good in this life. Because God is still with us. And he's being gracious to us. And so he says, every meal, no matter how common it is, bread, or how special it is, wine, Every meal should be celebrated because God is extending our life with that bread and he's giving us joy, which is represented in the wine. The second W for our life in the wilderness is wear. Wear. Wear white clothes and wear oil. Be anointed with oil. Wear white. I mean, this is obviously not the clothes of funerals, right? I mean, you would assume after we just heard the first part of the passage, all this talk of death, if we're the people who actually believe we're going to die, and we're not trying to hide that fact, we're not trying to pretend we're not going to die, you would think we'd all just wear black all the time. I was listening this morning, and as I was praying and preparing for the sermon, I was listening to the song, Christ, our hope in life and death. Christ is our hope in life and death. And there it says, whenever a believer is facing trouble, what should they believe? That God is good. Whenever you face trouble, remember God is good. And whenever you're facing death, what should the believer say? Christ, he lives. Under the sun, the kind of mentality that unbelievers have, like all there is is here what we see under the sun. There's nothing above that. Under the sun, death is all that is guaranteed. 
But for the Christian, we need to understand we should wear white and we should anoint our, our, our bodies with oil, which is to, to say you should try to look happy. You should live. It should be evident to everyone in your life when they see you that you are blessed because pouting and doubt and cynicism is last season fashion. It's the kind of stuff that is so out of date for us because we know the one who has defeated death. So we're not pouting about life and all the hardships in life. Christian, he's saying, let everything about you exude a kind of confidence in Christ, a joy beyond this life. Even though we're being realistic about death, he says, put on garments of gladness. But then number three, Number three, verse nine, is about the wife. Now, you got to understand I'm a Bible preacher. I'm going to say what's in the Bible. One of the clearest signs of under-the-sun lifestyle of denying God, one of the clearest signs is confusion about Sex. You just compare a TV show coming on that says TV 14. This is appropriate for all people who are 14 years old and and over. And you see what they show on that. You compare that to the outrage that the world gives when married people have PDA. Look back in verse 9. Here's God's command to those who are dying. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Sex is God's idea. That's what He's talking about here. Enjoy your life with your wife whom you love. That's what he means by enjoy. It is a great gift to married people. It is, according to verse 9, a glimpse of real joy and satisfaction in a life that is otherwise, into verse 9, full of toil, full of difficulty, full of death. In your vain life, vanity, it means fleeting here. Your time is ticking away. Don't just die. Do good. If you're married, that is your portion. That. You know what that is? That is your portion. That is your lot. So have lots of love. In Proverbs, it says that sex outside of marriage is a snare that leads to death. But in Ecclesiastes, sex in marriage is a gift to be celebrated when the frustrations of life under the sun are overwhelming. So he's saying, comfort your spouse in this way. And enjoy marriage because you're dying. Verse 10, the fourth W in the wilderness is work. The fourth W in the wilderness is work. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work 
or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. He says, this moment right now is all you have. All you have for work, all you have for thought, all you have for knowledge, all you have for wisdom is right here. And of course, we can, we understand that, that there is a, the greatest command. What was, what did Jesus say? What should you do with all your might? You should love the Lord your God. Whatever you do, do it with all your might. But what should you do, especially with all your might, is love God with all your might. Let everything you do be in service to knowing Christ, to making Him known. Where is life in a world of death? This is life, Jesus said. It is knowing God and His Son. Give everything you have. Don't waste your life. Whether you're studying the Bible, whether you're sharing the truth with believers or those who don't know God, or you're just simply raising your kids or working a job with faith in Christ, that this matters to Him and you could bring glory to Him in it. Do all four of these W's with all of your strength because we only have this one life to live for Christ. Then verses 11 and 12. He ends by saying, your time is coming. Let me give you two names. Kobe Bryant and Chloe. There is a coroner who is going to stand over your body And we'll pronounce you dead. You don't know if there will be any need for an autopsy. You don't know if you're going to be old or young. You don't know if it will be natural death or violent death. You don't know if you'll be alone in that moment. Or if you'll be surrounded in that moment. But you have a time of death. You just don't know what time that is. Verse 11 says, look, don't be like those unbelievers, those God deniers who, who, who think that if they fill their life with certain things, that it will guarantee them more time. Don't, don't think that just because you're fast, you're going to win the race or you're strong. That's if I just get strong, then I'll win the battle. Or if I can just get wise, then I'll have enough bread to extend my life. Or if I just can study enough, get the right degree, get the right job and enough riches, then I can extend my life. Don't live like an unbeliever and think you can guarantee an extended life. But instead, believe that man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net. That's not a net that will take them up to the penthouse to a better life. It's a different kind of net. 
And like birds that are caught in a snare by a hunter who's going to eat them. So in the same way, the children of man, all of humanity, are snared at an evil time. We've heard what's evil in verse 3. It's death. And death will suddenly fall upon us. So the first half says death is certain. The second half says death is by chance. And in this sense, it's going to happen upon you. It's going to seem like an accident. You're not going to be able to plan for it. You're not going to be able to avoid it. It's just going to happen suddenly. It will fall upon you. Chance is an under the sun word. It's fitting because we are ignorant. We don't know when it's going to happen. It's going to feel like an accident. It's going to feel like it came out of nowhere. But the wise know better than to use the word chance. Verse 1 said it's all in his hand, isn't it? It's in God's hand, all of it. So all of life's chances are actually God's choices. It may be experienced like chance, but God has determined the day. Bob, I wish you'd take me out and do some fly fishing. I really enjoyed it. Just a little plug here. One thing I like about fly fishing with Bob is we're not just standing on the bank and just hoping something happens. We're actually watching and we're looking. Now, the fish showed up that day, and if it's Bob, who Bob's line we're talking about and not mine, the fish showed up that day, and it all of a sudden, death falls upon it because Bob's in the water. They're totally safe with me, but the point is he's watching. And he's aiming. It may happen by chance to the fish or the bird, but there is a hunter. And here's the irony in the Old Testament. The hunter is the Lord. This very image is used of God putting the hook in people who've sinned against Him and pulling them to judgment. Isn't it amazing that when the Lord Jesus calls His disciples, He says, I will make you fishers of men. Friend, if you don't serve the Lord Jesus with all of your life, I am here by His authority to tell you that he is the, He's ready to judge the living and the dead. He's ready to judge you. He's ready. There's nothing He's waiting for. He's ready to judge you for all your sins against Him. But He also sent fishers of men not just to drag people to judgment, but to bring them into salvation in the kingdom of God. And so if you will turn from your sins and confess your guilt against Him, He will apply all of your guilt to His own cross. And He will hand to you all that He won for His people in the resurrection, which is righteousness and life and forgiveness. He will save you. One life to live. For the believer, we understand there is another life after this life. So you are going to die. In fact, you are dying right now. But you're not dead. How are you going to live? Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to believe the truth. And that we would, by the power and mercy and grace of our Savior,
that we would not just die, but that we would, we would do good. And by that, we don't mean just guaranteeing a longer life for us to experience more that this world has to give to us. We mean do good in enjoying all the good that you do for us and in serving your name and not our own. God, make us a people who are wise. Make us people who live and die for the Lord Jesus, who lived and died for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.